0: What a joy it is to open God's Word together. And if you would, if you have your Bible, open up to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And now every page of this book is remarkable. But if there's one I want to know particularly well, it's this one. Because I find this chapter to act like a a doorway that opens up to untold riches. This past November, I preached on the first eight verses of Psalm 119. And in that sermon, I highlighted some unique features of that psalm. And I want to do the same thing here again. Now, if you're still making your way there, Psalm 119, it is the longest chapter in the Bible, in the longest book of the Bible. And so your odds are pretty good of finding it. It's one of the easiest chapters. It is the easiest chapter in the Bible to find statistically. So take comfort in that. And if you haven't found it yet, sorry. Towards the middle of your Bible, Psalm 119, it's 176 verses. I was uh, with with several of the children in our church, um, the older children in our church last night, and we were talking about this passage, and I said, bring snacks tomorrow, because we're going to be here for a long time. So, I mean, they said maybe 3 o'clock. I said, no, maybe 9 (laughs) o'clock. So buckle up, 176 verses. But this morning we're only going to look at 8, so rest easy, rest assured. Uh, now, instead of, instead of reading like one massive poem, you'll notice that this, this psalm is broken up into smaller section. And each of these sections is the same length. Each section is just eight verses long. Now, next, notice that each of these sections has a little, a little name at the beginning of it. And when I was a kid, I thought these were names at the beginning there. So you've got Alf. The first section is about Alf. The second section is about Beth. I told the kids last night, the third section is about our weird Uncle Gimel. And so on. But they're actually not names. Uh, I later found out, as I grew a little bit older, that these are Hebrew letters. These headings are not just random. They represent this letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so each of these sections is an acrostic. And Aleph, we're going to just say A, because we don't generally know Hebrew. In that first eight verses, all of the verses start with, or that starts with that letter, A doesn't do that in English. In Hebrew, it does it. You're just going to have to trust me. Same thing with the next one. They're all going to start with bait, with B, and it goes on from there. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and so there are 22 sections in this chapter. But that's not all that's remarkable about this chapter. There is this incredible detail and structure given to this chapter. One of the things that we'll notice as we go through is that there are several synonyms used for God's word. This this chapter is all about expressing delight in God's word. And so in in this, in Hebrew, there are ten different synonyms that are used for God's word. Ten different words. Synonym is a word that means the same thing but sounds different. So there are ten different ten different ones. The reason there are ten different ones, Jewish tradition would say, is that God gave us ten words. That's the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. God gives us ten words. So as you go through Psalm 119, you see this delight, this continual delight in the words that God has given us. The ten words of God. The ten commandments. Fascinating. Each of these sections, all the way through, those ten words, Jewish tradition would say, those ten words are in every section. So every eight verses, you're going to come across these ten synonyms. Now in English, it doesn't quite work that way. But in Hebrew, that's how it works. Incredible, incredible precision and detail, and, and really poetic usage in this chapter. This puts on display God's goodness to us, does it not? We could be sitting here and, and reading uh, a, a math textbook, and we could be going through math facts, and that could be how God presents His truth to us, but God doesn't choose to do that. He delights to give us good things to enjoy, and one of those good things that He gives us to enjoy is, is the use of language and words. And what a joy it is to be able to come across that here. Now, the second reason that, that there's so much beauty in this chapter and, and clever devices used in this chapter is to help us to remember. This, is, this psalm would have been written so that people remember it. And so when you're going about your day, you can be just going through the alphabet. And you know, oh, there's eight verses that start with A, and so I'm going to go through them all. And then I'm going to get to B, and I'll go through those. This chapter was meant to be memorized and meant to be meditated on. Thank God that it's not an accounting textbook. Thank God that God in his kindness, he doesn't just give us his word, he gives us his words in ways that we can enjoy them. This is not a boring book. This is not an exciting, I mean, this is not a boring book, it's an exciting book. It's a delightful book. And more than that, it's a life-giving book. Because in this book, the very God of the universe speaks to us. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Now, some people find this psalm to be a bit odd. And the reason they find it a little bit odd is because the psalmist expresses such love and delight in these words. Seems, it seems strange. There's a word that people will use called bibliolatry. It's like this is his religion. He worships the Bible. But what we have to recognize in this psalm is that How the psalmist talks about God's word, it's always talking about God's word in reference to the one who speaks that word, in reference to the one behind that word. The love that the psalmist has for the word is not a love for words printed on paper. All of his affection is for the one who speaks that word. One commentator writes, he says, every reference here to scripture without exception relates it explicitly to its author. The psalmist knows that there's only one place that peace and joy and everything we need to know for this life can be found. And it's contained in this book, spoken by the God over all, who graciously reveals himself to us. Were it not for his speaking, for his revelation, for this word, we cannot know God. The Christian religion, unlike many other religions, is, is a religion built on and based on word. Spoken Word. God does not reveal Himself to us and come to us through uh, the practice of mindfulness or the, the listening to the right music or saying the right things. That's how God's Word comes to us. It comes to us in His Word. It's a spoken Word. It's a red Word for us today. There are some people that will say things like somebody once said, famously said, uh, preach the Gospel if necessary, use words. Or heard a story about a a professor, he was talking about that, and he said, when I get to heaven, I want to throttle the guy who said that. And then somebody in the back row shouts out, and if necessary, use hands. <laughs> we, cannot, we cannot preach the gospel without words. The gospel is the, it's the good news. It's a good word. And so this is what the psalmist takes delight in. We need this reminder this morning to delight in God as we delight in his word. That's what this chapter is all about. So let's look together at Psalm 119. We're going to read from verse 8 to 16, the second section there. Hear the word of God. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight, as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, thank you that we can open your word this morning and you speak to us. You give us all that we need for life and godliness. Thank you that this is word that you breathe out. And Lord, would you give us grace this morning to have hearts that are are conformed to your word. May we use this opportunity this morning to store up your word in our hearts. And may it have its intended effect upon us. Thank you that your word is always effective in what it intends to do. It is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Do its work in us this morning. Give me grace as I as i proclaim your word help me to get out of the way and point others to you it's in jesus name we pray amen amen now before we jump into unpacking this text i want you to notice one thing with me actually you know what i have this in my notes but i already talked about this so i'm not going to you don't need to notice it with me we already talked about it all the different words that are used for god's word we're going to n- highlight them as we go through but we see all these different words used for god's word and so we see in Verse 9, talk your word. In verse 10, we see your commandments. In verse 11, we see your word. Verse 12, we see your statutes. All these different synonyms. 13, rules. 14, testimonies. 15, precepts, ways, statutes, word. All these different words used for God's word. It's meant to show the breadth and the depth and, and significance of God's word. To highlight different aspects of it. Whenever we read God's words, whenever we read... The psalmist talk about God's word. We need to think in terms of covenant words. I've talked about this before. God's words are covenant words. Meaning that God's words, they're always meant to do something. They don't just tell us what to do. They're meant to create a relationship between God and humanity. That's what God's words do. So whenever we we read law of the Lord or testimonies or precepts or rules, we should be thinking in terms of, of covenant and a relationship that's established. God's words, they show us God's generosity. They show us God's grace. They tell us who God is and how we are to live in relationship with him. So in God's laws, we find not just God's righteousness, but God's generosity to his people. So Psalm 119, it begins by highlighting the only way to true blessedness, to happiness, to joy and life. And that is through God's word. And we're going to jump back to verse 1. just want to look at verse 1. It says, blessed are those whose way is blameless who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Psalms is saying, this is the way to blessedness. Now, as I, as I study this passage this past week, and as I read the Psalms, and actually you read all of Scripture, this word comes up a lot, blessed. And it's not a word that we tend to use. I mean, maybe if you're from the deep South, you might bless someone's heart a lot. But for us today, especially in the D.C. metro area, we're not doing a lot of blessing hearts. And we don't, we don't speak in terms of being blessed. But words that we might use would be joy and happiness. Words that we m- maybe won't use, but what we mean is, is flourishing. If we want to have the good life, the flourishing life, the blessed life, then this is what we'll do. This is what Jesus talks about in the Sermon, and the, on, the sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed is the one, and he goes through. It's flourishing is the one. This is the, the happy one, the good one, the blessed one. So blessed is a, is a massively significant word as we go through. So the, the path to the good life is through the way of the word. That's what Psalm 119 verse 1 says. Psalm 119 is, is really just building upon where the psalmist begins in Psalm 1. There's 150 psalms. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. So when you get to Psalm 119, you know what the psalmist psalmist is doing? He's delighting in God's Word. He's meditating on it day and night. Over 176 verses. That's what Psalm 119 is all about. The Word of God is the way, puts us in the way of blessedness. We're going to look at this psalm in two sections. Our first section is going to be the first four verses. It's the pursuit of God. This section, it begins with a question. And I want to spend a little bit of time contemplating this question before we move on to the rest of the text. The psalmist inquires, how can a young man keep his way pure? Remember verse 1, blessed is the man who's, blessed are those whose way is blameless. Now he's saying, how, how can that happen? How can a young man keep his way pure? Now think with me about what might prompt that question. First notice that he specifically mentions a young man. And while the psalmist is not only asking this question for a young man, he is especially doing so. The psalmist knows a couple things about young men. He knows the unique temptations that young men face. He knows their susceptibility, how vulnerable they can be to sin. The psalmist also knows that starting young in the right way is great gain. There's great benefit to getting started early rather than late. I know when I was younger I would often think that you know I can just do that later. In the, in the midst of my rebellion I remember thinking, you know, like if I'm about to die then I'll repent. At that point. But to put it bluntly, this is ridiculous and arrogant and stupid. Because I may not have time to repent. I may not desire to repent. On top of all that, if God is really God, And he says that the way to be blessed is by walking according to his word. Then by delaying, I am missing out on all this blessing, all this goodness, all this joy. I'm allowing sin to grow stronger in my heart. And I'm growing more and more useless to God with each passing day. That's what what delaying does. This is why the psalmist speaks of a young man. God is worthy of our first and our best. But Psalms and really the whole Bible, it it presents another way. The better way that God provides. It's all about the blessed way found in walking according to God's word. Walking according to righteousness. The author clearly has some concern for walking in this pure way. In a way that is untainted by sin, undefiled by wrongdoing. He understands something of the magnitude of sin, the seriousness of it. He knows that he has a major sin problem. So he cares. How can a young man keep his way pure? There's not a more important question that we can ask ourselves than how can we walk in holiness. Here are the words of David in Psalm 51. He writes, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. The psalmist recognizes his sin and recognizes that it must be cleansed. He looks back on his life, and all is tainted by sin. In verse 5 of that same chapter, chapter 51, he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. He came into this world wrapped in sin. He looks forward, and all is marked by sin. It's ever before him. There seems to be no end to it. Sin is just all around him. But what is sin? What is sin? We hear this word and we use it, but what is it? Well, sin is lawlessness. Sin is disobedience. But it's not just disobedience, it's a failure to obey God. God's words tell us how we are to live. And sin is living in opposition to those words in what we do, in what we say, and in what we think. Our great danger is that we walk in the way of sin, not in the way of the word. The way of sin is one of constant deception of nothing but broken promises and false hopes. Sin promises some good where no good exists. There's not any amount of good that can come from sin that makes sin good. Someone once wrote, Sin is so dark that it's incapable of light, so bitter that there's no way to make it sweet, so venomous that there's no way to make it wholesome. There is no good in sin. And brothers and sisters, what? Think of all that we would be spared from if we knew this to be true and believed it to be true, day in and day out. That there is no good in sin. Sin constantly holds out that there is good in it, but it's a lie. It's an empty promise. It's a promise that can never be fulfilled. There is no good in sin. We were just singing earlier. I was I was particularly struck by uh, the song, "O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer." That first verse, "O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer." greatest treasure of my longing soul. My God, like you, there is no other. True delight is found in you alone. And often we live as if true delight can be found in something else. May God indeed be our highest good and our unending need. So sin, there's the way of sin that we can walk in. And there is the way of God, the blessed way. This is what we see in Psalm 1, which I highlighted earlier. We also see this in Proverbs. The wisdom of this book says this, and it's all throughout this book, but look at, in chapter 3, verse 13. It says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5:6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed, flourishing, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In verse 8, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When the psalmist recognizes and believes that the blessed life is the righteous life, he must ask this question. How can a young man keep his way pure? And while it's our responsibility to ask this question, it is God's determination to give us the answer. And he gives it to us in his word. The answer to the psalmist is in verse 9. It says this, By guarding it. According to your word There is no way for us to find purity in life apart from giving ourselves to God's word Again, the psalmist recognizes the author behind the word It's not the word that the psalmist guards his life with It's your word God is the one who provides all the direction that we need Without his word, we would be lost Through God's word is the path to life 17th century English Puritan Thomas Manton, he writes this. He says, The Word shows the only way of reconciliation with God, or being cleansed from the guilt of sin, and the only way of solid and true sanctification and subjection to God, which are our cleansing from the filthiness of sin. No true peace without the Word, nor no true holiness. The Word shows the only way of reconciliation with God. This is the way that we must walk if we were to have true life. The prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 16, he says, thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. Do you want rest for your soul? That sounds pretty good to me. Rest for your soul. Do you want the good life, the blessed life? Then guard your way according to God's word because here in God's word is life. Life. So in verse 10, we see the psalmist's pursuit. He says, with my whole heart, I seek you. And then he goes right to this plea. He says, let me not wander from your commandments. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. The psalmist knows, knows two things. He knows that God who speaks is worth his every effort. Did you notice that he said, with my whole heart, I seek You. We've been talking about God's words. Now he says, with my whole heart, I seek you. He doesn't say your word. He says you. His every thought and desire is to be directed towards God. Remember what I was saying earlier about God's words being covenant words. They establish this relationship between God and humanity. The point is never the words. The point is God. In his pursuit of holiness, the psalmist makes God his aim. So he seeks God with his whole heart. I was talking to the kids last night and I, we were talking about how we seek that which is important to us. And so I asked them, like if you, if you go into your drawer to pull out some socks and you have an odd sock, do you go and seek that other sock? Because that, that important, they were all said no. All of them across the board, they were pretty adamant. No, I don't. So sorry moms. But we seek that which is important to us. I asked them, if you lost a $100 bill, would you go and seek that? Yes. Yes, we would definitely seek that. We would seek after that with our whole heart, even. I was thinking about it earlier. When I I enjoy cooking at times, sometimes, Um, I also enjoy rummaging through the pantry at times. But it really depends on what I'm looking for. And so if I'm going in there to look for aluminum foil, like, my whole heart is not in that. (laughs) I open it up. I don't see any. Hey, babe, I can't find the aluminum foil. And then she comes in and she just grabs it right out. But if I'm looking for, like... Some dark chocolate that I know was in there somewhere, my whole heart might be a little bit more involved in that. And so I, we seek those things which are important to us. How much more is God worth our every effort? If we seek these things, how much more is God worth our every effort? So the psalmist says, I seek you with my whole heart. But the psalmist also knows that his effort is pointless apart from prayer. All of his seeking, God and his word, does nothing apart from prayer. So the psalmist cries out, let me not wander from your commandments. He acknowledges his weakness, his need for God to help him walk in the way of his word. Charles Spurgeon, 19th century British preacher, he says this, he says, the man of God exerts himself, but does not trust himself. His heart is in his walking with God, But he knows that even his whole strength is not enough to keep him right unless his king shall be his keeper. And he who made the command shall make him constant in obeying them. The psalmist knows the words of Robert Robinson from the hymn, Come Thou Fount. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So he prays, let me not wander from your commandments. The psalmist needs the Lord's help to be in constant obedience. And look what he prays, though. He doesn't pray that you would would just keep me from sin. He prays that he would not wander. The more our hearts are set upon God, the more we will fear falling into sin. The psalmist's chief worry is not rebellion. It's not out-and-out rebellion. It's wandering. Wandering sounds a lot more innocent than rebellion, doesn't it? But that is what he wants to keep from. Let me not wander from your commandments. It's not that he might sin, but that my, he might never veer off the path of God's word. May we be the same. May we seek after God with our whole hearts that we don't have the time or the desire to be wanderers. But at the same time, may we have a healthy fear of, of wandering from the way of the word. You know, as, as Christians on this side of the resurrection, we, we live in interesting times. In the world's eyes, you might see a wanderer, And you might see a stranger and think they're the same. But they're not the same. Two things can look the same, but they're very different. We are strangers in this world. This world is not our home. We have our aim set somewhere other than this world. With my whole heart, I seek you. Our our aim is set on God. We are not wanderers, though. We are not going about aimlessly. Strangers, but not wanderers. So the psalmist prays, let me not wander while he seeks God. Next in verse 11, he recognized that all that he has done to pursue God in his word. He says this, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In order to seek God with his whole heart, in order to guard his way, in order to not wander, this is what the psalmist does. He makes provision inside of him to help him walk this blessed road. Spurgeon says it like this, Here is the best thing, God's word, hidden in the best place, his heart, for the best, purpose, best of purposes, that he might not sin against him. The best thing in the best place for the best purpose. This is the call of Proverbs 3, 21 through 23. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul, and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. So how did the psalmist store up God's word in his heart? What did this look like? Now one thing we can often fail to remember is that the world of the Bible, while in many ways was much like our world, in other ways was entirely different, entirely unlike our world. Now one example of this is literacy. I know when I read the Bible, I just tend to think that everybody was literate. But during the time of the Old Testament, it's doubtful that most people could read. Sure, scribes could probably read. Priests could probably read. Those in royal officials could probably read. But most could not read. In a, in a room like this, probably none of us could read if we were alive then. And keep in mind, this is also a couple millennia before the printing press even existed. So even if you could read, you probably didn't have access to texts to read. Do you know how the psalmist would store up god's word in his heart by memorizing it in fact just as we talked about with psalm 119 god's word is structured in such a way as to aid people in remembering it that's why most of the old testament is narrative it's stories stories are a whole lot easier to remember than a list of facts or a well-reasoned argument as we might read in, in paul's letters in the new testament It's also why there's so much poetry. It's why Psalm 119 is structured the way it is. When the psalmist talks about storing up God's word in his heart, he is mostly talking about knowing and delighting what we know as the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. This is the the Torah, the Pentateuch. This is his delight. Are y'all delighting in those books? That's what the psalmist is finding his delight in. That's why he's writing in Psalm 119, verse 97, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. He's talking about these five books. He can meditate all the day. Do you know why? Because he knows it. Because he stored it up in his heart. The psalmist was a part of a tradition that memorized God's word at incredible rates. The purpose of education from 6 to 12 was mostly to memorize these first five books. To memorize all five of these books. For some, they would go on. After that, this would have been after the, after the Old Testament was completed. And they would go on after they memorized those first five books and memorize the whole Old Testament. They would try to do that by the age of 16. The whole Old Testament. The Psalter, all 150 Psalms, they're meant to be memorized. They were meant to be memorized then. They're meant to be memorized today. They teach us how to speak to God. So let me challenge you. I'm not going to challenge you to memorize the the whole Old Testament or even just the five books of the Bible. I'm going to challenge you to store up God's Word in your heart. There are many, many ways you can do this. But if you don't start somewhere, you never will. Think of the length of your life, whatever days you have left on this earth. Only God knows that number. But if this week you memorize, store up God's Word in your heart, you will have more of God's Word stored in your heart than you did this past week. And same thing goes for every day after that. Even in the Psalms, I, was, I was, uh, did a little math. The Psalms, there's 2,752, I think, I think if I remember that number right, uh, Psalms, verses in those 150 Psalms. It would take about four, four and a half hours to read those aloud. Can you imagine being able to do that? To be able to, to have God's Word so stored in your heart That you can just go through the Psalms and it can be your meditation all the day. Think of the the I think richness that you would experience as you go about your day. There are many ways that you can work on memorizing scripture, and what I would encourage you to do, rather than kind of listing off a bunch of different ways that you could do that, talk to other people about it. Ask them how how have you memorized scripture? How do you store up God's word in your heart? I'll just share one for me that I've been doing recently is uh, there's a a friend of mine, he's a pastor in Birmingham, Alabama, and he sets psalms to music. And he's done, I think, maybe mm, 30 or so, 30 different psalm chapters. And I enjoy listening to him. His name's Adam Wright and it's called Corner Room Music. And I listen to them all the time. And I enjoy the music, but it's not like I'm listening for the music's sake. I'm listening to store up God's word in my heart. And I'm shocked how every day, many of these psalms come to my mind. And they, they become my meditation all the day. And it's, it takes just habit and just listening to them on a regular basis and then reading them. And as a family, we've been working on memorizing some psalms together. And so right now, we've been working on Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And it goes on from there. But I don't want to embarrass myself like I embarrassed myself last week trying to recite psalm 100 i think that was last week it was a mess so memorize god's word store up god's word in your heart brothers and sisters our access to god's word is is really an embarrassment of riches when you look at history i was sitting at my desk just this morning and within reach of me were 15 different bibles Like, just sitting there, I looked around. I was like, there's 15 Bibles right here. Yet, I don't know nearly as much scripture as I should. If my whole heart is set on seeking God, then I will give my energy to storing up God's word in my heart that I might walk this blessed way. If I believe what we sang earlier, so you all said these words earlier, that true delight is found in you alone. If you believe that, then you're going to want to seek God with your whole heart. True delight. True delight isn't found anywhere else. It's found in the giver of every good thing, in God alone. So then the psalmist turns to praise God. He says this, blessed are you, O Lord. Blessed are you, O Lord. This is who God is. He is the blessed one and the fountain of all blessing. Where there is no good in sin, there is all good in God. He is goodness itself. Goodness is the essence of his being. So the psalmist makes another request. He says, teach me your statutes. Now, if there is a prayer to give yourself to every day, it's this, teach me your statutes. This is one of the most often repeated requests in Psalm 119. The psalmist knows that the only way to know God's word is if God is his teacher. Teach me your statutes. And what a gift of grace that the one who is blessed in and of of himself is the one who teaches us. He is blessed and it is his joy to bless his people. God's goodness is a goodness that goes out from him. God is a fountain of goodness, pouring forth over his people. It's like the sun that shines on the land and causes all things to grow. One pastor once wrote, he said, God is more willing to bestow good than we are to ask it. That's how much goodness there is in God. He is, he's more willing to bestow good than we are even to ask of it. God has more good to give than we can even ask for. So may this be our prayer. Teach me your statutes. All of the pursuit of God through his word of these first four verses now comes out of the psalmist. What has touched his heart now comes out of his mouth. So we turn to this section, second section, these next four verses, which we won't spend as much time on. It's delight in God. So the psalmist says in verse 13, With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. He recognizes that his, his mouth was given for a reason. It's not to tell his own stories, not to tell his own glory. The one who has given us our lips has claim on them as well. So may his declaration become our declaration. When you have been bought with a price, then you are no longer your own. And as a new creation, you have a new obligation. This is the family business for those who are in Christ, to declare the words of God. What words of God do we declare? The psalmist tells us. All of them. We know that all Scripture is breathed out by God, as 2 Timothy 3 says. All Scripture is profitable for us, so we want to store it up in our hearts so that we can tell it on our lips. This is what the psalmist uses his mouth for, to declare God's Word to others. And this is what the church should be. This is what we do week in and week out in our weekly worship. We're declaring God's Word to one another. This is what our our conversations should look like throughout the week. The more our minds are filled with God's Word, the more we're going to be able to speak God's Word to one another. I've said it before. I've heard somebody say it. We want to be people who bleed biblene. Like you you prick us and the Bible comes out. God's words come out of us. So the psalmist uses his mouth to, to declare God's words. To declare his delight in them. Look at verse 14. It says, In the way of your testimonies I delight. As much as in all riches. Have you ever noticed that we tend to talk about the things that we love? When I'm in a context with people that I don't know, this is normally... My aim, this is what I try to do. I want them to talk about things that they love. It could be their family, it could be their job, it could be a hobby, it could be a place. I just want to hear about what they delight in. It's a lot more fun to talk about some but talk with someone who delights in something than someone who doesn't. <laughs> For the Christian, our delight should be the way of God's testimonies. This is to delight in the way that God works. The way of God's testimonies, it highlights how, how God delivers, how God saves. God's testimonies, they express his commitment to his word, his faithfulness to his promises, his love for his people. And our primary delight should be the gospel. Primary among the word that we are to declare is the saving activity of God, the gospel. We should be gospel proclaiming addicts. This is is what we do. We sometimes sing a hymn that says, I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ his death, and his resurrection. May that be our declaration as well. May we boast in Jesus Christ. May he be our delight. The reason we boast in Jesus Christ is because the word that Psalm 119 talks about, one day, about 2,000 years ago, became flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he lived a life that we couldn't live, He died the death that we deserve to die. And we can find life in Him. He rose and defeated the power of sin and death. And He is now reigning on high. This is Jesus, the Word made flesh. This should be our delight. Look at how much the psalmist delights in God's testimonies. It says in verse 14, In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. Jesus speaks of the kingdom of heaven the same way. He says in Matthew 13, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Jesus goes on. He says again, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So valuable is the way of the word that it is to be valued and delighted in, like all riches. So, Brothers and sisters, take stock of your delight in God's word. Do you love to speak of it? Does it fill your mind and your heart? Do you find yourself speaking God's word to others? Do you enjoy God's word? When we delight in God's word, we give evidence where our hearts are. The psalmist, he then continues to express the effect that the word has on his actions as he continues to delight in it. He says this in verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts. And fix my eyes on your ways. When you truly delight in something, you want to go back to it again and again. Think about any significant purchase you've made. Maybe it was your first car. Or maybe it was an engagement ring. Or maybe it was a house. Or whatever that thing was, I'm sure you took great delight in it. You wanted to go back to it again and again. I remember when I got my first truck and I just wanted to be in it. It was like I just wanted to drive somewhere or go sit in it. Like my, I walked inside, my mom, where were you, Devin? Oh, I was just sitting in my truck. <laughs> but I delighted in it. And so I, I wanted to fix my eyes on it. If we delight in earthly possessions like this, how much more should we fix our eyes on God and meditate on the ways of God? So the psalmist, it continues with this resolve. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. When we truly treasure something, we're not going to forget it. When we make something our delight, we're not going to forget to talk about it. I don't forget my wife's name, because I love her. I treasure her. I don't forget my kids' names because I love well, actually, sometimes I do. Maybe I don't love them. <laughs> there are too many of them. There aren't too many. Grateful for everyone. But we, do, we, we don't forget those things that we love, those things that we treasure. May this be the case for us as we delight in God's Word. Now, as we've worked our way through this text, one thing should become strikingly clear. This psalm is not mostly about information. It's about formation. Not information, but formation. The psalmist's concern is not storing up knowledge and memorizing facts. The psalmist's chief concern is about a changed heart and life. It's about walking as the blessed man who walks in the way of the word. This psalm is about the habits that are necessary to change your heart. We talked some about memorization, but what are some ways that we can we can put ourselves in the way of the word? What are some ways that we can put ourselves on this path? Let me just mention a few. One would be prayer. Prayer. This this psalm, other than the first three verses, is just a long prayer. One hundred and seventy-three verses. The psalmist praying, and we see some specific requests that he makes just in these 8 verses that we read. He says, "Let me not wander from your commandments." He says, "Teach me your statutes." We can pray God's word to God. We should pray God's word to God. This is a way that we can store up God's word in our heart. This is a habit that we can we can develop that we can cultivate that that is about formation that changes our hearts. It teaches us how to think about God, teaches us how to think about our circumstances. In the Psalms, we, we come across every emotion that we could experience. There is there's agony, there is joy, and there is everything in between. So when we pray the Psalms in particular, we are, we are teaching ourselves how to think about God, how to think about our circumstances, how to go through life so we can pray. Another thing we can do is we can, we can speak God's word. talked about this a little bit, but with, with my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. This is why we have small groups in our church. This is, this is the reason, primary reason, that we might speak God's word to one another. That's what we're to be about as a church. We're, we're a church of disciples growing as disciples, helping others grow as disciples, and making new disciples. And the way that we do that is speaking God's word to one another. So as you gather together in your small group, or you get dinner with somebody, or you bump into somebody throughout the week, speak God's word to one another. Speak of, of the ways that God has worked in your life. Speak of the things that you have seen him do. Speak of the things that have been encouraging you. We can speak God's word to one another. Another thing that we can do is meditate. I will meditate on your precepts. Now, we live in a, a world of yoga and mindfulness and Eastern meditation. And so when we, it's kind of weird when we hear the word meditate uh, and we talk about it in terms of Scripture because we're not quite sure how to think about that. Meditation in, in terms of Christianity is about meditating on God's word, thinking on God's word. It's not about emptying your mind of all things, it's about filling your mind with God things. So that's what we want to do as we meditate. We fill our minds with, with the ways and the words of God, we fill our minds with what God has done for us in Jesus, the promises that He's made, His faithfulness, the fact that, that all His promises are yes and amen in Jesus. Fill our minds with these things. Meditate on them. Turn them over in your mind. So we can pray, we can memorize, we can speak, we can meditate. These are habits necessary for changing our hearts, that we might walk in the way of the Word. What might change look like for you this week? What habit might you cultivate this week that that might change your heart by putting yourself in the way of the Word? I encourage you to think in terms of one of these four categories. And, and just take one step, one, one thing you might do to store up God's Word in your heart, one thing you might do to delight more in God's Word. And I'd encourage you to talk to one another about it. Uh, we have a, a rich resource in one another. We're not going this alone. The, the church is not a bunch of individuals that are just doing their own thing. No, we are a family and we are pursuing God together and we need one another. What an opportunity it is to encourage one another as we seek to guard our hearts according to God's word. And when we store up God's word in our heart, it can never be taken from us. So this is is what it might look like for us to speak God's word to ourselves and to one another. When we're discouraged, we can speak God's words of hope to ourselves. In a place like Philippians 4.19, it says, God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Or if you feel abandoned, alone, we can call to mind God's words in Isaiah 49, 15, and 16. It says, I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. For tempted, we can consider 1 Corinthians 10.13, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you might be able to endure it. If we're weary and beaten down, we can remember Psalm 147, verse 3. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. When we are afraid, may Isaiah 41.10 fill our eyes. God says this, Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteousness right hand. May in every circumstance we face, we say, I will delight in your word. Christopher Ash writes this. He says, let us learn to sing this psalm. Let us believe that blessing comes by walking the way of the word. Let us long that we will walk that way with a whole heart. And let us not despair, but look to the word of his grace as we bow before it to receive it with meekness. Thanks be to God that his, his word is not just a word of judgment, but it's one of grace. It speaks grace to us. How can a young man keep his way pure? It's by guarding it according to your word. And that, that word is made manifest in laws and commandments and telling us how to live, but that's not primary. We talked about this, it's not primary. What's primary is walking according to the life that we find in Jesus, the word made flesh. Thanks be to God for His Word that cleanses us from all sin. His, this Word, the living Word that saves us, that gives us strength for today and hope for tomorrow. And may we be a church, Grace Church, who makes Him our boast, makes His Word our delight. Amen? Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, thank You for speaking to us in Your Word. May it be our delight. Lord, we ask that You would teach us Your statutes. May we live in the good of who you have revealed yourself to be in Jesus. And uh, may we be faithful to speak your word to one another. Lord, I pray just this week as we go, as we scatter from this place, may you give us grace to uh, proclaim the hope that we have in Jesus to those who do not know you and to those who do know you, that we might be an encouragement to them. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.